This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend to help them find Out of Water also. Welcome, friends, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me today, as he always does, is our pastor of education, Reverend Sam Kastensmith. And we are continuing this week in our series on Desiring the Kingdom. Uh, it's our series from First and Second Kings, and this week we come to Second Kings chapter 5 and the story of a man named Naaman. Um, Sam, what would you like to let people know about this guy, Naaman? Naaman is like I'd say he's like he just feels like the the success story. Mm-hmm. He's got everything that this world um you know promises will make you happy apart from one thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, which is health, but he's he's got a great reputation. He's he's revered by everybody including the king of his homeland which is Syria. Um, and as you'll see right in the introduction, you know, he's introduced with all these kind of superlative comments. Um, and even though he has, by the world's way of defining things, great success, um, he's ultimately still vulnerable. He's ultimately still out of control and longing for something he can't get on his own. So he's got fame, he's got success, he's got, mm-hmm. we'll find out he's got great wealth, mm-hmm. you know, he has enormous resources in that regard. Yeah, even even the name, it's, a, it's the same root as the name Naomi, and it literally means like beautiful or pleasant mm-hmm. one. Like everything about this guy is like he's got it all. Yeah. Well, let's dive in here then and look at Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verse 1. It reads, Naaman. Commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Um, question, they, by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, this was the, com- this was the commander of essentially – I mean, Syria, that's a pagan army, right? These aren't the people of God. These are Baal worshipers. Mm-hmm, correct. And so, yet the Lord used him to have victory, and we think, what, over Ahab? Yeah. So, I mean, remember that the victory that he has is over Israel. And so, the the tension that's in the story is he's going to be going to the, the king of Israel seeking remedy for his leprosy, and yet he is the commander of the very same army that had beaten Israel in battles at the end of First Kings. Um so, so there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. I mean, he's even that name when it talks about him being a mighty man of valor. The the Hebrew word there's gibor, like David's mighty men of valor. Same mm-hmm. word there, the giborim, like it's lifting him up to this almost heroic status in the language that's being used here. Um, he's in high favor with the king. Everything about him is being lifted up, and then it comes to that you know at the end of verse one. Comma, but he was a leper. Um, and, you know, in this story, which is such a beautiful picture of the gospel, to, as we're going through the story, what we're invited in to, to realize is you can have all the blessings in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he was a leper. He couldn't enjoy them. You know, there was there was this thing that kept him from being able to enjoy all the blessings of the world. And so we come to that with this same thing. Like it's remarkable. You know, Rio Vista is a church that's in a fairly affluent neighborhood. Yeah. You you come across people who have, you know, what most Americans would probably call the dream life. You know, they've got Big houses and nice neighborhoods and large bank accounts and they are captains of industry and CEOs and you find out like uh, – I'll, I'll share a story. When when I first started doing the men's breakfast and we had this really wonderful, awesome group of guys who started showing up um, and then it just kind of became this really neat, wonderful community. By the way, it's the third Tuesday of every month at 730 in the attic. You're welcome to come. <laughs> a great group and great breakfast. Um but we were talking one day about what it meant to be successful, what it meant to have a fulfilled life as a man, you know, talking about being a husband, being a, um, a, a father and all these other things. And I asked the question at the end of kind of defining that, like how many of you feel like a failure? And I was expecting like probably no one was going to put their hand up because it's kind of an embarrassing question yeah, yeah. to start with, pretty bold to, to ask, probably inappropriate to ask. Um, every hand in the room went up. And it was kind of like, holy cow. Like, I'm looking at guys who look like they've got their life together. They've got all the all the boxes that you would want to have checked in this life according to the way that the culture, you know, throws images at you. Like, oh, they've got the life. And every single hand went up. And we're not talking of like eight guys. It was probably 30, 35 guys. <laughs> every single hand went up. And it blew me away. It blew me away. And so it's, you know, I'm in a room with a bunch of kind of Naaman type figures, captains of industry, you know, well respected, big bank accounts. And every one of them had this kind of comma, but something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Something's not satisfying me. And that's why Naaman, this story is so powerful in us being able to relate to it because everybody has this kind of comma. But there's something wrong. I can't enjoy it. There's some kind of spiritual leprosy mm -hmm. that keeps me from feeling satisfied in what the world has to offer. So Naaman is the first character in our story this week, but now we're going to meet the second character. Verse 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. By the way, one more time, I'm going to pick on the ESV. <laughs> little girl, we, when you hear little girl, folks, you're thinking – they, they took a four-year-old? A four-year-old would not be in the service of Naaman's wife. This was a young girl. I'm not saying she was, you know, certainly a young girl. But this idea of a little girl, I don't know why, Sam, they make the choices they make sometimes. That's a, <laughs> that word evokes in my mind a picture of your daughter, Leah, being carried yeah, away and made right. into the servant. No, if you're the servant to a general's wife, to an important man's wife, you're at least a teenager. You're, you're a young woman, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, doesn't by the way that doesn't take away from the fact that she was taken away and made into a servant against her will. Mm -hmm. No, no problem with that. I, I mean, I, that's wrong. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that we should be. Oh well, she was old enough to be made a slave. No one's ever old enough to be made into a slave. Right. Um, but get get it out of your head. This idea that that they came and captured a three year old or four year old. You know, I know, I know. Yeah, you still you haven't learned how to dress yourself, but you're going to be a servant to the general's wife. So, no. Yeah, and one of the other things that goes along with the story, and you have to, I mean, this is, the, I'm stepping into Mark's shoes for a moment, imagining what might be going on behind, <laughs> behind the scenes. That's in a the dangerous, story. dangerous pair of shoes to wear, bro. Go ahead. But, yeah. <laughs> but if they're carrying off a little girl, what happened to her parents? 
Yeah. You know, you're you're left. I mean, I can I can promise you their fate wasn't a good one. Either they've yeah. been taken away from slavery and separated or or probably even more likely than that they were killed yeah. and their little girl was taken from them. So like this little girl not only had the injustice of being sold into slavery, but even if she's, you know, early teens or whatever, she's still under her father's household in that culture and it would have been devastating to be ripped away from your parents whether mm-hmm. they were killed or just sent somewhere else, um, this little girl would have had a lot of reasons for pain and heartache and resentment, hatred even, yeah, of her captors. And yet she's remarkable. Mm-hmm. She's the hero of this story. She is. In verse 3, it says, she said to her mistress, so now she's speaking to Naaman's wife, like – like feeling confident enough to speak to her, which means, of course, that she has earned that right. I mean, to speak to the mistress and make a comment like this, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. That's a bold statement. It it shows that she has not forgotten her God and she has Mm -hmm. not forgotten his prophet. It's like even in the midst of what you rightly say is a situation, Sam, that she could be very bitter and and feel abandoned by God. There doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be any of that here. She's like, you know, the answer for my Lord, for Naaman, is over there in Israel. It's the God mm-hmm. of Israel. It's the man of God. It, it's stunning. I mean, this is a gospel ethic that when Jesus comes and, you know, some of the more challenging teaches, teachings that Jesus comes with, you know, that we're to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. I mean, here you see this little girl doing this in action because in our heart, like, I mean, in our flesh – if if you ripped me away from my parents and you did God only knows what to my parents and now you've sold me off into slavery and I hear that my master has leprosy, I'm rejoicing. Good. I hope it kills him. Yeah. You know, and oh, you want a cure? Here's some cyanide. This might help you. <laughs> you know. But think of the heart of this girl that is, you know, had to have been transformed, which shows you that she had really wonderful parents probably mm-hmm. who taught her the character of God, because she responds like the Lord, where she takes an enemy and is rooting for him to be cured, mm-hmm. and taking somebody who has caused her great harm and not seeking his – not rooting for his destruction, but rooting for his transformation and healing. Yeah. Like that – This the attitude of this young girl is stunning. Like I said, she is the, the hero of this story, remarkable, super Christ-like – um, that she would root for the healing yeah. of her captor, her enemy. Like you say, it's a very gospel message. I mean, when Jesus died for us, we were at enmity with him. It wasn't mm-hmm. just a – we weren't just kind of like passive, like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, whatever. But as sinners, we were opposed, completely opposed to God, and mm-hmm. yet he died for us. Um, so then verse 4, it says, So Naaman went in and told his lord – this would have been the king of Syria – Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the reason that I think that this is so amazing is that this girl had made such an impression on Naaman's wife that she carried the message to Naaman and had made such an impression through the wife on Naaman that Naaman carried this Hebrew slave girl's message to the king of Syria and says, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. So much weight that this young girl's words had with these people. Mm-hmm. What kind of life must she have lived before them? How yeah. exemplary must she have been? 
I mean, it makes you think of some characters like like Joseph or later on Daniel, mm-hmm. you know, that are that are taken off, that are captives, that are undergoing unjust things, and they they're faithful. They minister to the people that are that are subjecting them to captivity, and God's favor pours through them to bless others. Um, that's the nature of His people. That's the kind of calling card. Um, and this girl shows it in spades. It is something that we think about a lot of times where you know we find ourselves in hard situations and we're thinking, oh, what would Jesus do? Well, I'll tell you what Jesus would do. You know, Je- Jesus would be exemplary even in a hard situation. And that's what he calls his people to do is that, that you know, because the circumstances are unfair doesn't mean we get to step back and go, oh, well, we're, this is unfair to us. Therefore, I don't even have to like – Think about God in this situation. I'm no ambassador for God here. I'm being treated unfairly. Well, then mm-hmm. you're what it is is about you're an ambassador for you, not for God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so now uh, verse five, and the king of Syria said, "Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel." So he went, taking with him. This is where we know Naaman had some some scratch in the bank. <laughs> Ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold. And ten changes of clothing. And I, by the way, that doesn't mean that Naaman brought – a change of clothing did not mean like he brought some clean underwear and a T-shirt and a pair of shorts for somebody. <laughs> you know, what we're talking about is high-end garments here that were very difficult and expensive to have mm-hmm. made. When you were – when it says a change of clothing like that and it's talking about a person of means, basically this is like saying – he brought enough with him to stock your wardrobe probably for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you'll find when you go through scriptures, there's so many of these uh, kinds of statements where you find great wealth described with clothes. Like Joseph, when he brings his brothers into Egypt, uh-huh. like it doesn't say, and he gave them gold. It's like he provided them with the finest linens because in the ancient world – that was tremendously valuable. When they conquered Jericho and the Achan steals the Babylonian garment, like it's you see that all over the place where great wealth is described in clothing. And so it's like you said, this isn't like, you know, we're bringing some change of clothing to the beach. <laughs> this is a sign of great wealth back in those days. And at the, at the cross, at the crucifixion, it says they took the cloak from Jesus and they, they, they didn't tear it because it was mm-hmm. all one piece. Mm-hmm. That was that was a quality garment. That was a that was something that it just meant something to have some something that wasn't stitched together from scraps of fabric, mm-hmm. but to have a, something that the, a garment that was all from one piece of cloth meant that somebody had a lot of cloth. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, you get to the New Testament when Paul goes. His first convert when he goes to Europe is Lydia, and she's described as being wealthy. Why? Because she produces purple clothing, and that was such a luxury that she's actually considered like a wealthy woman in the town where she's at from clothing. Mm-hmm. So this is a big deal. You mm-hmm. see this throughout the scriptures. Um, and we should mention, by the way, that uh, purple is the uh, the color of royalty. I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's when when it's like. A purple, you know, she's a maker of purple garments. The idea there is saying that, oh, she's someone that's making the kinds of things that that the wealthy and powerful that the that royalty would be wearing. So, yeah. And just for nerds that are wondering, like, how much is this worth? Yes, uh, ten talents. One talent is somewhere around the neighborhood of seventy-five pounds. So, ten talents of silver. He's coming with seven hundred and fifty pounds of silver. Which is a lot. It's yeah. hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And then 
6,000 shekels a shekel and this little note in the ESV, it'll tell you it's two-fifths of an ounce. So that comes out to 2,400 ounces of gold and today the price of gold is $1,900 an ounce. So we're talking all in, he shows up with about $4 million yeah. <laughs> that he's seeking to, to, to pay for his health along right. with these changes of clothing. So this is, this is no uh, poor general. He's coming with a massive amount of wealth. And so our general, Naaman, arrives before the king of Israel, verse 6, it says, And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, the king of Israel at this time, Jehoram is like this kind of immature, doesn't have a lot of experience leader. Mm -hmm. And you see that reflected here in verse 7. It says, And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? <laughs> Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. The thing here, Sam, is that as soon as Jehoram got that letter, it immediately became all about him. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the, surprise, surprise. Didn't think about God. He didn't think about Elisha. He didn't think, hey, we've got, you know, we have a God in Israel and we have a mm -hmm. man of God in Israel who, who can cure people of these things. We know about this guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. No problem. Immediately it was like, what does this mean to me? Yeah. But you also have to think like Jehoram, remember his dad, Ahab, he's the second born son of Ahab and his dad, Ahab was killed in a battle against the Syrians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of whom Naaman was probably commanding them when Ahab was killed. Well, Jewish tradition, as recorded by yeah, Josephus, that. actually su suggests that that uh, Naaman was the guy who fired the arrow randomly into the air, like maybe in frustration because they couldn't find Ahab that in fact killed Ahab. <laughs> yeah, so so I mean that's tradition. So we don't know if that's correct or not. But at a minimum, he's commanding the army. So Jehoram is going, is getting this letter delivered to him by a person who was commanding at a minimum the army that killed his dad and who shamed Israel. And now he's coming saying, hey, I'm putting my health and I'm demanding, you know, that that you have me cured of leprosy. And surely Jehoram is going, he's picking a fight. He knows I can't do that. He knows I can't do that. He's putting demands on me. It's like a negotiating table. He's putting demands on me that he knows I can't fail just so he has a reason to go to war with me. He'll say that I'm withholding from him. He's trying to pick a fight. That's that's Jehoram's response. Yeah. He doesn't even consider maybe the Lord. <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe there is a God in Israel. And and he doesn't at there's no realization that dawns on him. It takes Elisha. It says verse 8, but when Elisha the man of God heard, like okay, I Jehoram didn't didn't send for Elisha. Elisha heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. At this point, <laughs> you have to imagine that, that Naaman had a set of expectations, wouldn't mm -hmm. you say? Well, this story is already supposed to be kind of humorous. Yeah. Here is the commander of the Syrian army coming with all of his entourage and his millions of dollars and all this other stuff. And Elisha doesn't say, oh, hold on a minute. I'll be right there. He's like, <laughs> you know, he tells this whole entourage, yeah, you can come to my house yep. so that you know there's a prophet in Israel, it's, which is dismissive, which is – it's really instructive as to what Elisha is doing here. 
um, and that he's going to accomplish through Naaman. But it's like, yeah, you can come here if you want. I'm not going there. Yeah. What? <laughs> and so Naaman comes with all of his horses and chariots, <laughs> and he's standing outside Elisha's house, which is humorous. That's, well, it's funny. And I'm also going to suggest that, okay, Elisha did not live in a palace. Elisha's house would have been, frankly, quite minimal. You know, he mm-hmm. would have been enough for him and not much more. And so the other thing you have to understand is that this is kind of like this, you know, all these horses and chariots and this big entourage and, 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 you know, 10,000 shekels of gold and six, whatever towns, all of this <laughs> stuff. That's a lot of metal to move around. So they had pack animals and they had, mm-hmm. so there was cargo vessels and tanker trucks and, you know, they had this, it's like the whole thing comes steaming up and essentially they're surrounding something that's the size of an outhouse, you know, so the whole thing has to mentally, you have to picture this huge array of people and vehicles of all kinds in front of a shack. Mm-hmm. You know that they have found, and it's in a town where there are little huts, but in archaeology, they've actually found a jar in the hometown of Elisha, you can Google it, that has the name Elisha written on the side of the jar that dates to this very period that may have been his jar, which is just kind of fun. <laughs> side side little throwaway note. But what brought that to mind is is the structures that are there, or like you said, they're like outhouses. They yeah. are not <laughs> – this is not the lap of luxury. So this this sort of bizarre scene is unfolding. Naaman's like got all of his guys there. And <clears throat> I can just imagine Naaman saying, you there, third chariot from the right, go knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> so and Elisha didn't even come to the door. It says, verse 10, and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Like Elisha <laughs> didn't even come outside to go, oh, hi, Naaman. <laughs> I mean, you you sent me a text suggesting it was like he was watching a television show and he sent a message outside like I can't be bothered to leave Jeopardy to come out and see yeah. this you know press mute long enough to tell your message your your servant go go tell him to go wash in the Jordan like ignoring the fact that there's this international yes. <laughs> ambassador squad outside your house so there is humor in it but at the same time I think that Elisha is once again demonstrating humility Elisha time and time and time again. We have seen Elisha. It's clear that Elisha wanted the Lord to be out front. Elisha mm-hmm. wanted to be the invisible man. When I was writing the study notes, I was like, if we do our jobs right as as ambassadors for God, we should really kind of become invisible. If we're mm-hmm. doing it the right way, people should see should should have contact with us and should see what God is doing, and God should get the glory, and we should almost mm-hmm. be invisible. And so Elisha literally is invisible. He didn't even come outside. He just sent mm-hmm. a message. But And it's not just Elisha's humility here. That's definitely a part of it. But it's Elisha's wisdom. What, you know, what, is, what we'll find out about Naaman is he thinks that he's entitled to healing because of who he is. Right. Like, do you know who I am? I'm the commander of the army of Syria. Look at all my wealth. Look at these chariots. Look at everything that I'm coming with. Don't you know that I'm a man of valor and my reputation and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da? And what he wants is the great – he shows up first at the king's house. Like, I want the greatest person in Israel to come here and heal me. And the king's like, I can't do it. <laughs> and now he's coming to the greatest prophet in Israel. And Elisha knows that if I get up out of my recliner and I go to the door and I do what Naaman wants of me, I'm feeding his ego. Mm-hmm. He wants a show. 
he thinks the only the greatest prophet in Israel is worthy of bringing him healing, and he wants to to humble him. And I'll, I'll tell you this from experience in ministry. I haven't been in ministry as long as a lot of people that are far wiser than me, but one of the things that you'll pick up on is somebody who comes in utter humility. They don't care where the healing comes from. They just want the healing. They'll they'll come, they'll they're, they'll heal, they'll hear it from anyone, from their community group. They'll hear hear it from, you know, the janitor of the church. They just want someone to speak healing into them. But when somebody who is a titan of industry, who is really, really wealthy, when they have a major collapse, they want the whole church to stop, and they want the whole church to rally around them, and they want all of the biggest guns to come and deal with them. And it's it does them – if their main issue is pride – I probably shouldn't be saying this, but if their main issue is pride, the worst thing you can do is array the whole church and all the staff to come and coordinate their mess – because it feeds their root problem. And I think part of the wisdom of Elisha here is Naaman thinks he's so important that he can earn his salvation and healing. I'm going to send my servant for Naaman's sake. I'm not going to feed that ego because that's his problem. Yeah. Yeah. Naaman had a sickness other than leprosy. It was pride. And that mm-hmm. needed to be cured as well. So verse 11, how did Naaman react to getting just a a note passed to him from the occupant of the outhouse? (laughs) Verse 11, it says, but Naaman is angry or was angry. And I do have to say, by the way, this is another place where I miss the old King James English because that's this is a place where the word wrath was used. But Naaman was wrath. And that I sort of picture Naaman that way. It's like he just dark his face just darkened, you know. Mm-hmm. The blood would have come up and he would have just he's just ready to someone's getting run over by a chariot. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, which might be true, but that's not the point. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Oh, my goodness. Is this not like every entitled person that you've ever met in your whole life? And, and it's and it's one of the things, you know, when it says he wants a spectacle, he he wants Elisha to come out and do this amazing thing and wave his hands, which, by the way, is is if you study history, I just came across this last night, that in that culture, there was a specific type of prayer that the priests and prophets of the pagan gods, Baal and others, they would come and they would do what's called a shwila prayer, which is kind of fun to say, shwila prayer. Shwila. And shwila literally means, in Akkadian, it means waving your hands over your head, raised hand prayer. Okay. And they have all of these things. You can there's actually a website called shwilas.org where you can look at old tablets and translations of what these prayers were that we have found that were transcribed. Cool. And they're these super verbose, I mean like, oh Ben Hadad, da 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 and you just going on praising the Lord, asking him for healing or victory in battle or whatever. And that's what he wants. He wants Elisha to come out and dance around and raise his hands and put on a show. And Elisha sends you to the servant to say, go wash in the Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no show at all. And Naaman is furious yeah. about this. Yeah. And and why? You know, I, I can remember when I came to faith, Mark, and right in the seasons before that, 
I had a few clients that were evangelical Christians, and I, I couldn't tell you exactly everything they said. But the arguments that I would have with them or debates when I was resisting the gospel, it always went something like this. So you're telling me that all I have to do is just believe in Jesus, that he died for my sins and rose from the dead, and then I'm forgiven, and that I get to go to heaven and it has nothing to do with me, and now I get to live however I want to because Jesus died for my sins, and there's no role that I play in winning my salvation. And they would say, well, I mean, you, if you love Jesus, you're going you're gonna to be obeyed, but yeah, you have no role in winning your salvation, and that used to infuriate me. Mm. Like I didn't. That was offensive to me. Like, don't tell me that because you owe something to God. Like you, you absolutely have to do something to get to heaven. This idea that it's just free is offensive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same place that Naaman is coming from. He's coming and saying, no, 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 no. Like I'm a mighty man of valor. Like I can't just receive a free gift. I can't just go do wash in the Jordan because guess who else can wash in the Jordan? Anyone. Mm-hmm. You're telling me that salvation is coming just by me going down and dunking myself in the Jordan seven times. Like, prostitutes can do that. Everybody, the poor can do that. I'm naming. Don't tell me that this is something simple. I think that is what drives him bananas and gets him angry. And the reality comes, like, what finally broke through to me was God because I was offended almost for God's sake. Like, what do you mean? You you have to give God something. You can't just get into heaven as a free gift. But then the reality comes that it's – you know, I used to think that evangelicals weren't treating God holy enough. Mm-hmm. You know, that they were just accepting the riffraff and God's better than that. <laughs> Until I realized that what evangelicals were saying is God is so holy, so far beyond what I had ever considered is that no one could ever qualify. Right. No one could ever qualify. And right. so the only way we get in is by a free gift. Right. I, I'm never going to be worthy to stand next to the one who can create universes by the power of his word. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's just, it's going to be grace that gets me next to that, you know? And Naaman can't handle that. Right. Yeah. What do you mean it's free? What do you mean? I'm no different than anyone else. Right. Um, And that sets him off. So in verse 13, there is a save here. Uh, But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he not actually said to you, wash and be clean? Now, I'm going to read you the verse correctly translated from the New King James Version because the ESV changes this in a way that makes the changes the meaning of the verse and they've got it wrong like every other english translation not just a few of them all of them translate it this way verse 13 in the new king james version and his servants came near and spoke to him and said my father if the prophet had told you to do something great would you not have done it how much more then when he says to you wash and be clean that's how the verse is supposed to be translated um, again, here's the funny thing, Sam, is that the ESV is a revision of the RSV of the of the of the Revised Standard Version, and in, and the Revised Standard Version gets it right. Whoever worked on this section of Second Kings and the ESV <laughs> went out of their way to get this wrong and changes the meaning of the of the verse. It's like 
This is specifically what this verse is saying is if he had given you something outlandish and impossible to do, go and conquer Egypt, then you'll be clean. You'd be like, all right, we're going to go conquer Egypt. Mm -hmm. How much more? He just told you, like you're just saying, he's like, he's saying it's not impossible. It's very approachable. Go clean yourself in the Jordan. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wants, and that brings it up, like what this is really about is Naaman wants the glory. He wants to share in the glory of his healing. So maybe there is a stealth campaign where I'm going to try to. Hey, there you go. I I think I'm joining it. I tell you, (laughs) I think I'm joining it. I I tell you what, the funny thing is, just just pull up Second Kings chapter five verse thirteen and do one of those Bible comparison things where it shows it to you in all the other translations, and you'll find out that that every other one has it the right way, which is if he had told you to do something great, would you not have do it? Would you not do it? Uh, and and to say it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. No, that's not what it means. Anyway, um, so verse 14, it tells us, so he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He, re- he absolutely received his healing, but I will tell you something, it was not just his flesh yeah. that was healed at that moment. Uh, yeah, he's he's redeemed. Because verse 15 says, Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. <laughs> That's cool. Um, and I will say, by the way, this is an interesting thing. When he came to Elisha for the healing, you know, pulling up with all the tanks and buses and... <laughs> And Elisha's like, take this message outside to him. When he comes back to stand before Elisha and give testimony to God and to give glory to God, it says, when he says he came and stood before him, that's Elisha coming outside. Elisha came outside then. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Elisha was willing to come out and see the Lord get the credit. (laughs) Hmm. That's why I said to me, it really spoke to me of... Elisha's, you know, desire to see God get the credit. There was a humility thing there. I think that is a component of it. But, but in all of this, also, there's such a beautiful picture of the difference between religion and gospel. Absolutely. Because when when Naaman first shows up, he's got a heart that's bitter, that's ready to explode, right? And when he doesn't hear what he wants to hear, it does explode, and he's frothing. You know, <laughs> he's, he's he's angry wrong. and yes. nose snorting and all that stuff. Like, he is angry. Why? Because he came there to buy mercy. He came there saying, look who I am. Look what I have. What deal can we make? Here's what I'm bringing to the table. You owe me something. And he's angry about it. Now, afterward, Elisha sends him away, doesn't do business, and he says, no, 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 you need to go do business with God. And God gives him absolute and total cleansing for free. Mm-hmm. And the heart of this man changes. He doesn't come back with all this wealth saying, no, 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 let me buy it. It's a gift right. at this point. Like that's the way he says, now accept a present from your servant. That's the way the heart of a believer is changed 
before you understand the gospel, when you come before God, you're saying, Lord, look at all this stuff I have. Look at my obedience where I do have it. Look at my money and look at my accolades and look at what I've done over here and look at how often I volunteer and look, I lead Bible studies and everything else. And God, you owe me mercy. Can you cleanse me? Can you take away this spiritual leprosy? I want to negotiate with you. And the Lord is saying, you have absolutely nothing that impresses me. I want your heart. Right. Put all that stuff away. I want your heart. And when you finally realize that you can't earn it, God is so far greater than anything you can bribe or purchase. You're not going to get salvation through what you bring to the table. Mm. It's all by his goodness, not yours. When you receive that, and you recognize that it's a free gift offered to you because he's that good and he loves you. Now all the treasures you have, they're, they're not bargaining chips anymore. Right. Now you offer them back to him as a gift. You want to serve him. That's the heart of Naaman. That's how you know he's saved here is he's not obligated to pay. Right. But he wants to. Right. Um, verse 16, but he said, as the Lord – this is Elisha answering Naaman. Uh, but he said – as the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. Elisha saying, this is not about the money, Naaman. It's about your heart. Hmm. Um, and he urged him to take it, but he refused. Verse 17, then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. Hmm. I, I just for a second, I want you to stop for just a second, folks, and imagine this is a guy who is coming from a country where everybody who is anybody worships Baal. Mm-hmm. And and publicly and loudly and with great fanfare because that's what it was all about. It was about the show. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, I want to take – some dirt from Israel back because I want to be on this ground as I give sacrifices to the only true God. I mean, he's saying, I'm going to go back amongst these people and I'm going to live this truth in front Mm -hmm. of them demonstrably. Mm -hmm. That's pretty big. Yeah, this is this is for real conversion, and yeah. he's he's going back to his land to testify to the power of God. You know, he and he's not he's he's asked permission to be able to go and serve his master and to do these things in a pagan country. And notice that Elisha doesn't say no; you must never go back to those kinds of people. Right. He's he's sent like yeah. absolutely here. I'm not going to take your wealth, but here's some of the dirt of Israel. Take it. <laughs> And go be a, a messenger. Go go testify. Go be a witness to what you've seen here. Right. And and Naaman is 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 doing that. And by the way, like when it talks about him going into the Jordan and dipping himself seven times, we talked about the seven sneezes, and now we have seven times dipping in the Jordan when the when the kid, the Shunammite's mm-hmm. son, is restored. He, he sneezes, sneezes seven right. times, and there's the, here's the seven again. And one of the interesting things about this is I was trying to figure out, like, why in the world is he dipping in the Jordan seven times? And if you go in Leviticus, when it deals with um, how you go about declaring a leper cleansed in the Levitical law, it says that, one, he is to be separated for seven days, but that when he is cleansed, the, the ceremony is you would take this bird and you would sacrifice a bird and you would take the blood of this bird, this, this sacrifice, and you would sprinkle the blood on the leper seven times. And so in the cleansing of lepers and the Levitical law, 
you see that it's shed blood seven times going over um, the victim of leprosy, you know, the person who's seeking mm-hmm. cleansing. And so the fact that this is, you know, being dipped in the Jordan, what does that make you think of? Baptism, it Jesus. draws your right. mind to baptism, right? right? And so – and he's cleansed through this. And I think one of the things – and this is this is a Sam Caston-Smith theory, so, <laughs> so brace yourself. I think one of the things that it's – that it's communicating to us is the same ritual that is the blood sprinkling mm-hmm. seven times to cleanse a leper is now being shown as, as this picture of Naaman dipping himself in the Jordan, this picture of baptism seven times that has now cleansed him. Yeah. And so I think it's tying these two together. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's a, my theory as to why this would be seven times dipping in the Jordan to cleanse a leper. They seem awfully closely related. Yeah. So verse 18, Naaman does ask a favor or a question. He says, uh, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master, that would be the king of Syria, goes into the house of Rimmon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. Um, essentially saying, it's my job duty, I'm going to have to do this, you know, I'm the king's right-hand man, literally, in this case, mm-hmm. his protector. And so when the king bow, everybody bows when they go in, please, you know, give pardon me in that. And Elisha says to him, go in peace. Not it's okay, but go in peace. Yeah. It's like, just don't fret this. Don't fret this. You know, this is part of your job. Yeah. Um, you go with a blessing. Yeah. So, that, so it's it's interesting, you know his his master whose name is Ben Hadad, which literally means the son of Hadad, and if you remember, Hadad is another name for Baal. So I mean, so intimately tied to this, Ramon means thunder god, and so like all of this is so totally pagan, and he's like, I'm going to be taken back to a culture where they worship all this garbage. Like, am I going to be okay if I go if if I'm giving my heart to the Lord? And yet I'm doing it in the midst of a culture where this is just all around me. Am I okay? And, you know, this is this is instructive for us. Elisha, like you said, doesn't just say, all right. I mean, if you have to, it's, it's go in peace with a right. blessing. Like, go. Yeah. That's our call. It tells us, uh, it's continuing in verse 19, but when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, see, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian in not accepting from his hand what he brought. It's like no thought about Naaman's conversion or his, you know, a great, man, a miracle just happened, right? <laughs> the Lord just cleansed somebody of leprosy. And Gehazi's thought is, yeah, but we didn't get anything for it. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's like. <laughs> Gehazi, when, when, when Elisha's watching the TV, I think Gehazi watched too many televangelists. He's like, wait a minute, we got to get something out of this. Something, like, yeah. Plant your seed of faith here, Naaman. So, and he says, uh, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. I want you to, to remember that because – or just notice that because that's a sign of hum- – the, the general getting down out of the chariot to meet him is Naaman mm. saying, I'm not – I'm no better than you. It's like he's getting yeah. down out of the chariot to meet you on your level. A general did not climb down from his chariot to meet an underling. That just didn't happen. Mm. So again, now Naaman – the heart of a converted man. You know, It's like he climbed down from the chariot and his first question was, is all well? Hmm. 
And I was like, so what was Naaman's concern? Naaman's concern was, is everything okay with you, with, with Elisha? You know, you're running out to meet me. Is something wrong? I, have, I just had a thought on the fly. Do you remember the last time in, in this series? Remember, oh, all is well. Yeah, it was the uh, widow with her yeah. son who had been killed. So, so get this. The Shunammite who had lost her son is walking to Elisha, and they're yelling from a distance, right? You right. Know, and, and she says, all is well, until she can get close to Elisha, and she grabs hold of him and just starts weeping over her son. And he's like, oh, my goodness, I didn't see this. And remember what Elisha does? He tells Gehazi, the same guy. I want you to go to her house and take this staff, and I want you to put the staff over the sun, and this will raise him from the dead. But it doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Gehazi fails, and I think there's something to that because, you know, th- this seems like it should have worked for Gehazi because Elisha told him to do it, but it doesn't. And so I think that's a clue that something's amiss with Gehazi. God yeah. is not honoring what Gehazi's up to. And so when it comes here and we get that same language, is all well. Oh, yes, all is well. I think it's meant to maybe trigger our minds to remember hmm. the other story that Gehazi is not. The Lord is not with him. Yeah. Um, verse 22, and he, Gehazi, said, all is well. My master, Elisha, of course, has sent me to say, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. He's invented mm-hmm. two guys. To, to make the whole story sound plausible and to, and to explain to, you know, because Elisha had told, had taken a vow in front of Naaman, as the Lord lives by, you know, before whom I stand, I will not take any money from you. So he couldn't go and say Elisha's changed his mind because Naaman would know that wasn't true. <laughs> He's like, I know, I now know Elisha would not change his mind if he took an oath before God. Mm-hmm. So he invents these two people that need help. And, and he says, please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And again, look at the heart of the converted guy, not Gehazi, Naaman. Verse 23, and Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. You've asked me for one. I'm going to give you double that. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. It's like Naaman hmm. was overjoyed. <laughs> you could just yeah. see it there. He was so glad to be able to do something to help Elisha's these, – these, these fictional – I mean – Na- I'm going to tell you something. Folks. This is pretty bad. Well, but I'm going to tell you something too. It's like Naaman. I think Naaman got credit for that in heaven <laughs> somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like this was this is the heart of a man who's like I, I'm. Hey, what whatever I can do, everything I have is is in for for the for your work here. Now it's like if I can help you. Wow, you got two guys that are coming back that are in need. The sons of the prophets here take take stuff to them. He he couldn't give it away fast enough. Yeah, he even gives them servants to carry it. Yeah. Um, so, and uh, verse 24, and when he came to the hill, this is Gehazi, when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand, the servant, and put them in the house and sent the men away and they departed. So Elisha wouldn't see any of this. He went in and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And Gehazi in this moment forgets that Elisha is a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, your servant went nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <clears throat> what do you think like i wonder if that's intentional you know when when elisha says to him where have you been gahazi so many times 
when people are called out in their sin, going all the way back to the garden, right. where are you? Where are you at? Like, I, I think it's asking, you know, dual meaning, like, where have you been? But it's also a spiritual posturing, like, where have you been, Gehazi? Yeah. You know, it's it's a penetrating question. Well, yeah, like you say, you talk about it in the garden. It's not when God said, where are you, calling for Adam, the Lord knew where Adam was. Mm-hmm. He was asking Adam where his heart was. Like, he's asking Adam to mm-hmm. confess, basically. Tell me where you are, Adam. Same I thing know. with Elisha. You know, and, uh, what are I think, you up to? I think that Elisha w- was offering him a chance here to come mm-hmm. clean. Um, and instead, Gehazi maintained the lie. Fictional people that needed help, fictional, he didn't go anywhere. Uh, verse 26, but he, Elisha, said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. The, the thing that the sickness that Naaman had it manifested itself as leprosy, but it was a it was a prideful heart, and mm-hmm. God cured Naaman of that prideful heart and the leprosy. And Gehazi has the, has the sick heart here now, and so the mm-hmm. leprosy comes on him. Yeah, it, it's like and, it's an outward sign, you know, of what was going on inside Gehazi. You know, one of the the fascinating things that you find in all the great judgments that you see in Scripture, um, God's people. It's always when they look back and they long for treasure more than they long for God. That's when the judgment comes. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I mean, you think of, of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, when, when they're leaving Sodom, God says, don't look back. Like, you're going on to a new chapter. I don't want you to long and, and miss all your great wealth that was in Sodom. And Lot's wife looks back and she's turned to a pillar of salt. She's judged. The same with, with when the Israelites leave Egypt. You know, so many of the Israelites are going to face, you know, this empty judgment. Why? Because they're saying, oh, what I wouldn't give if we could just go back to Egypt and be around our pots of meat. And you, you see that story in, in the conquest of Jericho when God conquers this city and he says, don't plunder it. Like, this is bigger than plunder. We're not those kinds of people. And Achan, who's one of the generals in, in Israel, steals a Babylonian garment. There it is again, the clothing. And all this money and hides it underneath his tent. And it's, it's when the people of God use, and I want, I want, like, this is, this is a gut check. It's when the people of God use his movement, what he's doing to advance his kingdom to mm. get personally enriched. Hmm. God has a special kind of judgment for that. Mm. You, you see some of his most interesting acts of judgment and wrath poured out on people who take advantage of his movements for his kingdom to get personally enriched. And in this case, it's Gehazi who says, yeah, this guy's been healed. He could be this amazing um, figure to spread the the news of the Lord in, in Syria. And Gehazi's like, that's not good enough. I yeah. need something out of this. Yeah. Um, and here's, here's the danger in that. Um, when when we share the gospel, and this is this is this is really true. When we share the gospel and we say, "Hey, this is a free gift," you know, the Lord loves you. But then we put strings attached personally. Um, it lets that person walk away saying, "Okay, well, I did contribute something," uh, and I think 
the Lord, and particularly Elisha as this prophet, so desperately knows that Naaman is plagued by that pride, by that feeling that he's entitled and earned something when he first comes, that Elisha is hellbent on not allowing him to contribute anything, that he has to go away going, this was entirely free. And that's what makes what Gehazi does so reprehensible because it could have harmed Naaman's soul um, to walk away saying, well, you know what? I did give something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's the, the case with Naaman. He seems unbelievably humbled and generous and charitable. I remember <laughs> we had – and the interesting thing, like to this day, I have a check that is on my nightside table that's water-stained from where I put my water at night. But it is a check from somebody who who wrote me a personal check because at one of the men's breakfasts that we did on this very passage, and I still remember the the title of that message in my files is called comma but because Naaman has all this stuff comma but he had leprosy, um, and we all have some kind of leprosy. But anyway, at the end of that message, this this wonderful guy who's who is of Jewish faith said that message was really great, and he wrote me personally, my name on the check. He wrote me a check, and I thought, well, that was really nice. And probably two days later, I'm looking at this check going, I'm Gehazi. <laughs> In the story, I'm Gehazi. And so I never did cash that check. I mean, and I left it on my nightside table as a reminder that you don't do this for the checks, yeah. you know. You do this because you desperately want Naaman's out there to be redeemed. Yeah. You want them to find the one true God. You want them to find cleansing. And you want them to go back to their homelands and make much of the Lord yeah. because he gave you a gift freely. Yeah. Well, that is a good word, and I think that's what we're going to end on uh, for this yeah. week. It's a remarkable story, the story of Naaman. And um, I, I feel like I see little pieces of myself, Sam, in all parts of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the person that in this story that I would like to be thought of the most is the young girl. Because mm-hmm. she was the one who was absolutely, you know, she was dedicated to her Lord. She was fearless. She was willing to persevere even in hard circumstances. And she was used by God as the catalyst for this whole story. None of this would have happened with Naaman had she not spoken up. Yeah. She's for, for sure. She is the hero of the story. Yeah. And the only way that she could have that kind of confidence when you look at what life had thrown her is that her hope was in a better city, a better kingdom. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed your time with us, that it was profitable for you. As always, we do invite you to correspond with us, to let us know what you thought of the podcast this week, or if there's questions or comments that you'd like to make, our email address is outofwater at riovistachurch.com. That's R-I-O, Vista church.com, which is also where you can find all the back episodes of the Out of Water podcast at riovistachurch.com forward slash out of water. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, and on Spotify, or in our Rio Vista Church smartphone app, which is available at an app store near you. Sam and I will be back next week with more of Second Kings chapter 6 this time, and we look forward to seeing you then. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater. water.